House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Welcome back into the House of Mystery. Today we've got a threesome. We've got three hosts. <laughs> yeah. We got, uh, of course, we're going to be uh, grilling Mr. Joe Goldberg about his new book, Rebellion, Rebellious Son. I was going to say rebellion. I don't know why, but the rebellious sons. Yeah, well, I, I didn't get enough. Uh, I was doing NyQuil, so I was hoping that, um, yeah. Well, so, so Joe, why, why write another book? <laughs> it's a good question. Yeah, that, well, you know what? I, there was a feeling of obligation. Um, and, and when I first queried this thing during COVID and queried it poorly and sort of things impatiently is probably the best word. I said, yeah, they want agents want to see book deals, three book series. I said, okay. So I'm making, I'll tell them it's a three book series. And so I sort of sketched it out and the first book did okay. And I got my small loyal following. So I actually feel obligated, not guilt, but that I need to, fulfill these people who are liking it. It's like, I can't wait to the next one. Can't wait to the next one. Oh, oh, oh okay. Well, neither can I. I got to write it. So that really, I wanted to flesh out the characters, yes. I wanted to do all that sort of writing stuff. But really, you know, the human internal machine was people are expecting you to put a new book out on this, you know, the book two. So go do it. And then you get into the writer's process. Yeah. Make sense? Well, it does. But, uh, it, you know, if you focus on all of that, does that take away from the book itself? Yeah. Well, that's I tried not to do that, but I will admit uh, human frailty that as I'm going along, I'm, I am every once in a while, I get the uh, voice on my shoulder saying, how is this going to play with my loyal, small but loyal readership? Um, well, someone sent some comments in the reviews, look, hoping to see more of this. Maybe I should try to add more of that. They kind of agreed with them, to be honest. So I, I do miss, I did massage some of my content, but there's just, uh, I'm kind of, a, uh, there's a, there was a pressure, I'm internal, self-made, but it's, it was there, um, to deliver for them. So you're a massage therapist now. I, <laughs> hello, hello. Bad connection. <laughs> do, do you have a, a world building bible so to speak to to uh, kind of flush out the series or uh, how did you do that well that's i knew kind of where i wanted the second book to go but i had not sketched out the entire series to the end which is kind of where i am right now because i've started the third book and i'm like what do i want these people to do i i sort of wanted to create this like we all thriller writers sort of want to do create this john wick ecosystem that you get plunked in the middle of it and you you know everybody's interested in knowing what happened with these where these guys come from and maybe i should do a prequel and those sort of things but i i sketched it out enough where i know where the characters are kind of going i know the world that they're in i know the bad guys um i think i know how i wanted my main characters to change uh that will uh, develop as I as I write. Uh, I usually I almost always have to have the end in my head, or what I think is going to be the end in my head. And I and I to get there, the characters need to you know become what they're going to be at the end. So I need to write a plot that that matches that up. But I know that I know the espionage world that I've created for them, and so do they. 
And that's why they're slugging it out. Why did you have in book three here, the rebellious, rebellious son? Now you, you were talking about uh, Europe and um, now from what I heard yesterday, um, that's, that's kind of not the, the place to go. It's supposed to be yeah. local. It's supposed to be uh, in, in America. We don't know what it's like in Europe and Russia, so we don't go there. Well, I mentioned that. You know, we talked about that when I get our yesterday's conversation, how I wrote down some notes, and I thought about that, uh, that the international thriller is not as, as on the wane, perhaps, or domestic thrillers are, are more popular. And I actually have my, uh, just by the way the book has worked out, they are in the United States, I did. I am going to go into another continent, but I don't have to be there to get make the book happen. I just need to have it there to, get, to develop some characters and get some get some action going. But I really was thinking about that last night in my COVID positive test and do stupor, um, thinking about how can I bring in more U.S. positions, and it kind of makes sense of the story that I that I have. But it's an international spy thriller. That's the, that was the genre starting out. I just can't suddenly stop and say, okay, now we're going to go off and, and ride horses a little bit. But there is something to be said for bringing it back into the States, and or at least more of it. I think I was kind of more balanced in spy, in Rebellious Son, Spy Devils 2, Book 3. And I'll say it's Book 3 because Rebellious Son is really based off my very first book, Secret Wars, but and it's a continuation of Spy Devils, but I thought about that, and I sort of was more balanced in the locales. But I've actually get comments from people saying, like writers do, oh, thank you for transporting me to Colombia. I've been there before, and it made me remember, relive these memories, or I've never been there before, and I really now I really want to go type of, type of locale. So you feel good about that. You know, you take, you're taking people away from wherever they are and putting them someplace else and you know, maybe putting them in in some you know, the middle of the nowhere in the United States isn't quite as thrilling as going to uh, to China or Taiwan or someplace. Do you think 9-11's done that since 9-11 and, and now that there's um, been real terror in the U.S. Um, that it's bringing the uh, spy novels to America directly? the land oh yeah i know many many uh writers have domestic political thrillers and uh many of the current ones actually i think sort of not all the jack car but some of them are the domestic political thrillers is the bioterrorism west weapon or there's the radioactive thing that's going to explode and and these people are the only ones who can stop it from happening um or in or in the even the smaller level of not big, big, huge, macho hero thrillers, but just the stories that tell stories of people on the street that became people became more sensitive to their surroundings, you know, be aware. And I think 9-11 had a lot to do with that because uh, this genre took off after 9-11. And I actually, was my very first book was ready to go. I told the story once before. I was going to go out to 9-11. I had it ready to go the week of night, the day before, uh, it happens. I have a book called Secret Wars. It's about terrorism. I rewrote the cover letter, sent it out, and I got comments back saying, we like it, but we think terrorism isn't going to sell right now. Like, nobody knew. Everyone was sort of terrified. And they were absolutely wrong because that's when a lot of this stuff really, be, really, really began to take off. And I think people were trying to experience those places that they 
couldn't get to and understand and put in context what was happening around them domestically because they never really thought about some of these complex international topics. Well, I was wondering, you know, you had mentioned uh, writing action scenes, and I'm just wondering how you construct them, your action, maybe your fight scenes. Do you draw from your background in the CIA? Is it imagination? Do you act out the scenes at home? How, how does that work for you? His wife. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes, I have, a, I have a punching bag yeah. downstairs. Um, it's not her. She's a, she's a COVID. <laughs> we both have COVID. She gave me COVID. So yeah. I'm not gonna, I don't wanna, she got you back. Stay awake. Um, she got me back, yes. She said, if you don't get COVID off of this one, you have a con, an iron constitution. Well, three days later, here I am. Um, action, I didn't really, well, let's be honest, I really didn't want to do a lot of action scenes. Like I mentioned, I didn't want to have that cliche hero, the bullet just happens to miss him, but this person can come landing on their one hand and do cartwheels and crack the back of somebody and, and off they run. I didn't want that. And I too much equated that with action sequences. And then when I send it off to my editor, he goes, you need action here. You know, something's got to happen here. And so I had to actually start with from scratch. And, I, and almost everything I write it's been some, is a place I've been. So I can imagine the surroundings or the, or the area that I can use to my you know, sort of tactical advantage. But I, I know my hero is going to live and how much, how much injury, injuries are going to be, um, how much mental damages are going to be. And which which tells me how much I might have to make put this thing together. I've got a, a, a scene in Spy Devils, which is pretty gruesome. It wasn't even there; it wasn't meant to be gruesome. But I said I had this guy who was being, you know, sort of kidnapped by two other guys, and he and I, he's got to get out of it. He's in the hotel room. He says, "Well, how how do you get out of it?" And you and your mentality is for all of us would be, "I need to do anything I can to live." I'm not, there is no you know, 15 seconds from now. This is the moment where I need to become a brutal, angry animal. And you know, niceties of whether you like to have somebody's testicles ripped off or knifed off is, is, is irrelevant. And that's what they would do in that situation. So I try to make, I try to make it realistic in that the emotion and the anger and the survival instinct has to take over rather than just a, a sniper scope or something like that. I, I try to build it so it's yeah if i was there that's what i'd be doing too and uh, i i don't really map them out on a well i map on a piece of paper because that's sort of uh, an outlining just of this action sequence but i don't do anything else besides this. i need to have this happen which causes that and in the end this is how the result i really need actually I start with the, here's the result i really need and then i work backwards from that i need to know how it ends do these kind of stories really happen in real life Pieces of things really happen. I mean, this is fiction, yeah. right? So, um, fiction is things are as I say always. Uh, fiction is strange. Truth is stranger yeah. than fiction. You can tell us. That's what Spy Devils. Yeah, well, Spy Devils was like, that was sort of the theme. In fact, that's the theme at the beginning of the book when my main character he, he wrote the uh, uh, the epigraph to it. This is a uh, the forward to it. Um, he he says, you know, "Truth is stranger." You may not believe it. But this stuff is this stuff can happen, so yes, there it's a fictional um, gang. But the you know we all draw from newspapers. The characters are drawn from people that we know. The world environment is something that we all live in, so we sort of kind of know that. And so, how do you put that sausage kosher sausage together and come up with 
a believable story. Yes, in I have uh, tradecraft techniques in the books, you know, espionage techniques, spy techniques, and those are as real as I can get them without going to prison. And they made it through CIA Publication Review Board, and I, you know, I, I want you to get you inside the walls. Okay, when I described the agency as I remembered it and knew it, that's that's what that's what it looked like. And the dialogue is dialogue of maybe people I've known. And so that's how the which gets you the mentality. And once you kind of get inside people's mentality, you, get, you know, you understand them better and how what actions therefore they may take. So the question is, is some of it real? Of course. It, real in the sense of these things do exist and put together in a 350-page, 90,000-page word book, yeah, it's fiction. Yeah, but what do agency men wrap their meat with? <laughs> That's a secret. That's secret no for no contract pro for no con. Well, no, but I mean, you've got, um, okay, so you've got former terrorist hunter Wes Henslow. Based on a real character. Yeah, but it, so is there really terrorist hunters in the real world, like is that like, like what I'm getting at here is, look, you know, we we all sit down and watch Jack Reacher because there's you know a, a series on and you've got this big huge guy, yeah, you know, and everything he does is perfect and uh, right. and the whole scene, but it's it's fun, it's action, blah blah blah. But is this it? Is this sort of a real thing going on? Um, is there really a terrorist hunter out there um, working for the government? And they're, they're like, it's all of the, like the basis of this real, or is this just to total fantasy? No, it's real. It's real. It's, it's real. It's, you know, Wes Henslow is, is Dewey Claridge. He knows, he knew that. And I brought him forward from the first book. And he, when he read the first book, his character, um, Dewey Claridge created the Counterterrorism Center and a few other things. He's mentor. He got to love him or hate him. People love him. Hey, Dewey, it's fine. Um, and he said, you know, he turned me into a... Oh, my. And I said, well, Dewey, you are that. You know, so so he's a real guy. I knew his mentality. I knew what he was doing. I knew him after he, he left the agency. And uh, and so the answer, the answer to the question is, are there really terrorist hunters? Not like, like big game lion hunters. But yes, there's a dedicated group of people in the intelligence communities who are spending all their time looking for people who could do harm to the United States of America and our allies. And that's what, if, they, if they're not, if they're not doing that anymore, then I'd, I'd be shocked and surprised. Um, and they're getting supported by the big alphabet soup of federal government agencies and beltway bandits who are supporting the terrorist, terrorist hunt, the chemical weapons hunt, the cyber terrorism hunt, all those things that come together. But yeah, this guy was hunting Abu Nidal. He was hunting... Uh, kind of this bomb guy, but you know, all that, all that, that was, that was, he did. He created this kind of terrorism center to do that. Um, so I tried to make that as real as I could. And I wouldn't want to make up something that was too far fetched and ridiculous. So you, you do what I call jump the shark when I, when he's like, Oh, come on, give me a break. That would never happen. Well, yeah, it did. You know, sometimes in every book, there's those really jump the shark moments where you go, What? No. Uh, the Bourne movies had that, especially the last ones. Like, oh, that, no, no, it would not happen. But that kind of ruined it for me a little bit. Well, they make the they make the the characters too perfect. Well, they make it so the only the plot point ha needs something to help it move forward. So he finds in the briefcase 
the, the burned out remnants of the secret document in Morocco from the guy who got blown up by the motorcycle. And of course, the only thing that wasn't burned is an address and a CIA emblem, which is the address of the deep cover CIA facility in New York City. No. No. I sat forward in my chair at the movie theater, just rubbed my eyes and just said, I, I can't, I'm going to tough it out here. But I understood from the point of view of storytelling that they needed to move it. He needed to get from there to New York. And so how is he going to do that? He's going to see the address or something, which is totally ridiculous. But if you're not inside the game, you may not even think about that. And for me, it was like, to me, it was kind of a big deal because here's all the super secret. This is a guy who can't find them. And he's, he's a ghost. And here's how bad is the agency? They put their emblems on the outside of their secret documents and the address of super secret associations. I try to avoid that like the plague. Well, now I have the plague, but I try to avoid that every time I'm going through. I, I have to, you have to have them. I, and when you talk about in the first question, hey, do you think about your readers? That's when I think about it. I try to avoid the eye rolling. Oh, give me a break. If it's, they have to have, they happen. Some of the ones I have were real. They're just truth is stranger than fiction. But, I just don't want people rolling their eyes at me saying, oh, you made this up just for the sake of making up a story. In the same vein, uh, how worried are you about uh, getting, like, the details correct when it comes to, like, equipment? Because some readers get very angry when it's portrayed wrong. (laughs) Which is why I don't use much. I don't describe the velocity of a bullet coming out of the muzzle. You know, I use the same kind of guns because that's the only guns I know. And I, uh, I don't really do a lot of weaponry. You know, Kimber 1911, everybody's got a Kimber 1911, or everybody's got a K-Bar knife. My guy's got a K-Bar knife. I got my killer drones, um, and they're off the shelf, basically, DJI drones. But I don't go through a lot of ex- explanation of the kind of, I don't go hardly through any explanations of the, my, when my guy uses a sniper rifle, he picks up, he, well, see, I named the sniper rifle. I just type in, what kind of sniper rifle would this, would this, would this military use? And up, up it comes. I look at it. I do some research on it. Looks like it's the one that still likes still being used. I plug the name in. Never shot it. Never used it. If if that is really, if you're reading my book to know if I got the name of the rifle absolutely correct, then I'm sorry. You know, I, I apologize if I made the mistakes. But that's not my point in writing these books. My books are relationship books and networking books and that type of stuff. But they're not meant to be the current phase, which is bang, I call bang, bang. Um, you know, I got to have, I got to, I got to have action because I was told I need to have that kind of action and I got it, but I'll make an action that fits into my characters and the, and the story, not just, oh, it's time to have an action scene because, you know, if you get, like as Josh Hood always says, I said yesterday, you know, when you get stuck, kill somebody. All right, it's just the, it's the easiest way to go. So, so that's the answer to my question. I don't own a gun, all right? Not because I, for any particular reason, I just don't. But I can look them up and research them and understand and talk to my friends who do, but I'm not going to go through the details like that. I'd rather go through the details of how to do a dead drop, which I have in a little bit in the book, which was a lot longer chapter in this book, but ended up being a four paragraphs because I kind of cut it. But I went through the intricacies of how to do espionage and trade crap. I wanted the book to be that. The premise was old spy versus... Uh, old terrorist, well, old spies and old terrorists would use old techniques to do things. 
right? They're not going to pull out their beepy beepies. They're going to pull out their analogs and they're going to, you know, they're going to stumble along because that's what they know. So it's not, it's not a electronic dead drop device that you stick into the ground, you walk by and it's a download to your phone. It's a thing by a thing that you got to pick up at a certain time because that's how it's done. So I, I want people to describe that. I wanted, I wanted to be entertaining that way. And that got a, that got a lot of cottage from the editor because like no one cares about that. Yeah, you can be too informative. Like you, it can, it'll take away from the story, right? Take someone yes. out of the story if it's too much. Yes, my goal to be an, a teacher educator of an espionage took away from the from the speed and flow of the story. Six years, exactly right. Yeah, and of course, as I'm writing, I'm hoping that no one else sees that because I know what's kind of happening. But when the first person reads the book, says it right away, you kind of go, "Well, so much for that." I didn't pull that over on him, but I kind of liked the. I, I kind of enjoyed writing that stuff because it sort of relives a few memories, and and I think it gives people an idea of what what that life is kind of like. But it's when it comes down to the actual story and the development and the intrigue that needs to be there. It's just another piece. It's just a few paragraphs. Yeah, personally, I like Spy versus Spy. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. You're a cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> you talked about graphic novels, Al, so that's one of the best. Yeah, well, that's, you know, that's as, that's as detailed as I get. And that's why I'm thinking about putting these books in the graphic novels. Yeah, well, it could be interesting. I'm, I'm a visual guy. I, I see the books as I'm writing. I hear them as I'm writing. I see my characters. They're all movie actors that I can relate to. This person's Sigourney Weaver. This person's Jake Gyllenhaal or Jeff Donovan. This person is Harvey Keitel. So I can see them. And I have a you know a mass communication, I have a broadcasting and film movie, so I got to see this thing, kind of write like a movie. So the idea of actually making a story in pictures, uh, taking these words and turning the pictures, is somewhat enticing to me because I, I think it's closer to my own personal joy. How personal do you get with these with the characters? Like how personal do you want to get with them? I got much more personal in my very first book, Secret Wars, because it was semi autobiographical. Um, the, the, the story, the main character is me, so my wife plays into it. Oh, I thought you were the wife. Fictionally. <laughs> no, I'm the wife. I'm the, I'm yeah. the French maid. You, know, you, keep, you, keep, you keep getting yeah. mixed up on that. Um, so I was much more personal because I was writing a book, Living My Life, fictionally, uh, about my foibles my and uh, career goals and what I wanted to do or needed to do to balance work and life and life wins always. So I changed my career to, to make all these sort of things happen. As I've gone on, my main characters possess my, maybe my strengths. I certainly am not a crime. I've got weapons expert, but they have my uh, anxieties uh, like my biggest anxiety, but I gave to my character, one of them is being found out that I'm not as good as I really am. Oh, you're really good, Joe, when you were doing that intelligence stuff. Are you really good, right? No, um, I, I try to be really good because I don't want to. I don't want to fail. I don't want to look bad. So I work really hard at that. So it's the fear of the fear of failure, and so I gave that idea or that characteristic to one of my characters, which motivated and drove them, and that's what helped motivate and drive the story. So it wasn't a main, big, huge thing, but that was an underlying, no, not necessarily a message, a sort of motif or theme of that particular character. So I give them my things. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anybody else I actually pull from. I pull from brothers. I pull from 
other family members to, to give them some characteristics. But I try, if I need to be personal, I got no problem with it. It's fiction. Yeah, you can, you can, you get to decide the end. You get to decide how it exactly. goes. It's not like it's, you're, you're, you're writing something that happened and you have to follow what really happened. You can make it up. Oh, yeah. Well, I wrote, I dedicated and wrote Spy Devils after both my parents died within months of each other. And so I made the main characters of my book a son and his mother, who was his handler at the agency. And I, so I wanted to build, first of all, that's kind of a unique dynamic. And second of all, there's a family relationship. There's the sense of long, longing and what you need to do for work life and who gave up what and my life's being directed. Can I just have a normal life and get married and have kids and do, do the American dream or do I have to do what you tell me because that's what you've always done, mom, you know? So I don't know if that's a stereotypical guilt thing from background or not, but uh, that, that really sort of drove the beginning of the relationship part of, the, of Spy Devils, the first book, Spy Devils 1. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and so it's important to you, like to yes. have that kind of personal relationship going on. Yes, I need something. You know, the old line is, if you want a message, call Western Union. But you know, books have messages. You know, books books have a thematic. They, they. I want them to be more than oh, that was good action sequence. Oh, I love the way that guy chopped off that person's head. It was really cool. They didn't feel remorse about it because, you know, bad guys are supposed to die. Good guys are supposed to walk away bloody and good. I, I, I don't write those types of things. But I wanted, I wanted people to say, that's me. That was really important to me for Spy Doubles. And I got so edited up that that didn't come quite through. But I wanted some people who were in the corporate world like I was, which is a piece of, of the first Spy Doubles book, to say, yeah, yo, I I know that HR person. Well, I hate him too because who doesn't? Who likes HR? And right, so because we all have this, we all have a shared experience. And I could put that in the book because I, I worked in corporate. You know, I know that V pompous ass V sorry pompous VP who uh, just twisted me around the the ringer to get this thing done. So I wanted a little bit more of that, and that got totally cut out. I put it back, put some of it back, um, and made that a, a sort of a goal for one character is like, I want to get out of this life. <laughs> I, I'm sort of tired of these people. This corporate job thing is like a drone bee. So I, I that, you know, because I, I live that one too. There's a personal thing. So that is, you know, and then, so how do you matrix all those different goals together? I have a relationship with my mom and I'm lonely and things like that. Oh, I'm married, but I got, I want to get out of this job. You went out of your job, but now we've kind of overlapped. This is my doubles. And how do we go forward from there? Rebellious son uh, I wanted to develop more of that relationship together and make it, make it turn more into a mother-son thing as opposed to mother or boss, you know, employee thing. So that's how, that's how it develops into the second book, that there actually is moments of maternal feeling and son love that they didn't know they really possessed situations to take, take control. And I know those, I, I, we all know those feelings. Absolutely. Well, have you noticed any reoccurrent themes or motifs or anything like that uh, that, that kind of just show up in, in you know, uh, throughout your work? I know. Well, not necessarily recurrent themes. I, I, I reuse the same phrases, and I'm just like, you know, i got to become a better writer. I, you know, I, I, I'll search my document, <laughs> up, comes, up comes the same line, and I've forgotten if I've used this thing in a, in a previous book, and i got to go back and check it out. You know, but recurrent recurrent motifs and themes, right? 
I'm sticking with things like loyalty, things uh, uh, which is a relationship topic. So it all comes under the umbrella of relationship. This team of people are loyal to each other. That fact, that's very close to how the next book ends. It's all about that deal. You know, rising the occasion no matter what to, to help each other out, um, even though the circumstances didn't really, well, may have called for it, but you know they did. So it's it's that feeling of this is somebody's on my side. Um, because how many friends do you really have, all right, in your life? You know, some people are are blessed to have a whole bunch of friends. They and they're good networkers. Like I used to be that, but now I've sort of been cloistered. I cloistered myself, and so I have a very small group of friends. So maybe I'm writing these books with a, with a bigger group of people who are working together. Like I used to have back when I was at you know, Motorola and other places where I had staffs, and you know, saw people every day, had actual conversations with human beings. And so maybe my books are a, a motif of reaching out to people saying, you know, there's somebody out there. Everybody has a story, which is always a motif I have. Everybody has a story. And those people can be inside your story, too. And, you know, you can share. That seems to pop up. That makes sense? I keep saying that, but that, that makes sense. But. So what do you, what do you find um, the best part of the writing experience to be? Besides getting done? Um, <laughs> yeah, and not killing the editor. Yeah, yeah. I am not a good a good writer, and I talked to my wife about this, and I'm like, am I really a writer? You know, do I write every day? Do I? Am I? Is this a profession? I, I just haven't clicked that final card saying, you know, when I'm in a when I'm in the groove, like I'm probably gonna hit the groove probably starting next week. I'm you know I'm I'm there. I'm dedicated, but I like. Now, I'll tell you what, you know what really kind of gets to me is when I hear my words in Audible. Actually listening to someone read my writing, that's really cool, interpreting how I wrote. So from the point of view of, wow, that's one thing. But my actual writing process, I like. I do like characters. I know you have to start with characters, and I know how my characters are supposed to change throughout a book. But I like piecing these different things together, kind of Tom Clancy-ish, where you have these sort of different storylines and then people are going, well, how do these things sort of merge up? Oh, that's how we did it. So I, I kind of like, I have a big wall here full of yellow, little yellow stickies right in front of me. I like sort of moving those pieces around, the chessboard, strategy, tactics, and trying to avoid those jump-to-shark moments. I like that. I like that a lot more than taking my short, stubby sausage fingers and whacking on my keyboard and having to retype everywhere because I can't type and I misspell. So the actual writing I do enjoy when I'm done. I get that sense of satisfaction. There's 2,000 words. That's not a bad chapter. I know it's got to be rewritten. But how do I piece that chapter to the next chapter? And that really gets me going. I go, and there's that becomes the aha moment. That's the endorphin moment. The the uh, drug. Uh, I just, you know that. Oh my gosh. I'm I, I'm having a. I don't really like seeing at the typewriter and banging out like some guys do. But boy, that really was pretty good. And goes the needle. Up it comes, and I've got that. I've got the uh, uh, the juice again to try to do it again because what I wrote, what I felt like I wrote, wasn't too bad. If I write a crappy stuff, I'm like, well, I just edit that out. You know, I'll just go, or I'll move on another storyline, or no, that's bad, or I'll just say end it here. I usually I have little red notes saying make this better, and I move on because if I sit there and try to make it better at that moment, I'm just going to stall. So I just move on. It's, like, it's sort of the Hemingway version of. Write your best worst sentence. Just get going, and 
if I sit there and try to edit and figure it all out and whatever, I'll never get to the end. So then go back and look at my little red notes, and I go, ah, now I know how to piece that together because I kept going, and I knew now I know how I, I want to use that or take it out. So that's so it's it's the it's the cool moment of actually creativity. But for me, it, yes, it's the writing a good chapter, but it's the piecing all these different things together to make an enjoyable story with realistic characters underneath. That's kind of what gets me going. Pe- believable thing, believable people. That's why I wrote originally. Oh, like Queen Latifah, very believable. Yes, yes that's. <laughs> I, yes, <laughs> she's she's the equalizer. Right? Yeah. And and it's a very believable character. I I, I believe it because I don't want to watch a whole, watch a whole lot of network TV. I did watch the original Equalizer though. Well, yeah, he was a long good time ago. Edward Woodward. Well, Edward Woodward. Yeah, I mean, he was he was laid back. I mean, he was the kind of character that can't exist nowadays because you need to have Bang Bang. Um, he did just enough of that to be the Equalizer, but it was a little more cerebral. It's like I keep saying that John Le Carre and those guys they want to get made now. There's no, you know, there's no action. It's all espionage. They go, oh, this is nice, John. Can you can you cut this down? Can you kill somebody here in chapter four? Because you know, there's nothing really happening here besides this George Smiley guy thinking about stuff. It's a, it's a different time. It's a different time. I kind of, I actually, I kind of wanted to. I kind of, I really, I mean, wanted to write old style. I wanted to really write an espionage book for Spy Devils. Um, I wanted to say, okay. I listened to and read all hundreds of espionage books throughout time. And I say, what made these really good? And I'm like, I'm going to go write a book today that is true, um, Day of the Jackal-ish, you know, Tinker Taylor, Taylor Soldier-ish. And I didn't end up with that. And I had to reconcile that internally. So I kind of failed in my goal because my, that was my original goal. But to get something done, to get through my editor, maybe sell a few books, I took out a lot of that espionage stuff because it didn't didn't move the story, I guess. Yeah, but, you know, I sort of enjoy that. You know, a lot of um, what I'm watching now are things like the old Saint series yes. or, or um, Secret Agent. and, uh, and Secret Agent, well, it, classic. Well, because the, they're, they're thinkers. Like, you sit there and you have to think your way through it. It's not just... Go in and shoot. Do you know what I mean? Yes. And and I. Oh, that's exactly. Yeah. Yes. Well, that's exactly how I wanted my main character Bridger to be. Actually, the main character is really Peter Schaefer. Till I re, who was me, and who I rewrote it as I wrote Spy Devils and figured out he's not the main character. Bridger and the Spy Devils are. So I changed the book. But so I said, okay, good, more espionage. But that's not the way to go. I wanted him to be a, a, a strategist. That's how it's his his main character shows up. He's in the, in the book, he's like, I, I can see what's happening now. This guy's going to walk that way. He's got the gun there. Of course, he's going to do that. You know, he thinks he can't be seen. He's analyzing everything that's going on because that's what he's good at. But that only goes so far. And then he got, you know, two chapters later, you got to beat a guy with a chair because that's what people are looking for, which is what happens. Yeah, but I, I think that it's going to go the other way because there's been we've had too much of this uh, vapid, too much of this action. Jack Reacher stuff going on, and I, I think it's peaking. Um, there's got to be a little bit more to hold on to than just action. Well, that's what that was my question in the time when we were having uh, talking yesterday about was what's the future of the thrill industry? Um, because I want to hear what if, if 
people are thinking, because I agree with you. I thought that was already happening. That's why I was trying to write my books to be ahead of that curve, that people want to get away from that. And because of the shape, well, excuses, take pick an excuse, pick a whining topic. But uh, if you can't get inside the, the industry and people, if you're not writing that kind of stuff that people are now used to, then you're you're not going to make it inside the you know, the current yeah. thriller walls. Oh, you know, we need to have more. Give me give me another Mark Greeny. Give me another Jack Carr. Give me another that. Because, you know, that's what we know sells. And we can't use this, you know, pablum, you know, cerebral stuff. Well, that's part of the machine right now. It's, 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 yep. it's, that's what's going on. But the thing is, that is going to end. And, you know, I'm, I'm looking for stuff with more thought or that makes me think. Because most of the stuff, even when David and I talk about movies, he does the movie reviews and stuff. And when we, we talk about that, I always sort of think, so much of it is, yeah, that was good action. That was good. That's all that's ever good is, yeah, it was fun. It was exciting. It's lots of good killing, bone crunches, stuff like that. But for the most part, aren't we all just getting into the habit where we're working on our computer while we're listening or watching these action shows because you don't need to yes. think? Right. And that's why, just for the sake of maybe I'm wrong and the, and the, the viewer will, the listener will go, you're wrong, Joe, is I like Andor in the Star Wars thing that's on Disney right now. It's if it's dark. There's a lot of people don't like it. Probably don't like it because there's not a lot of bang bang. It's dark. It's gritty. It's more espionage. It's people talking. It's figuring out things. And I'm like, this is great. This is you know, this is. They got enough uh, action to to keep the story going, but they they really are working on the characters, and they're talking. And they, and and it's interesting. Look at the comments. There's some people go, oh, I hate it. Nothing happens. It's just a bunch of talking. Yes. Success. Well, they're looking for the exactly. French maid. You have to actually listen and think. They're looking for the yeah. French maid, bang, bang. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's me. But, <laughs> you know, we have to go back to the French maid thing because that's, you know, me. But, that, but, yes, you're actually going to have to think here. You're going to have to put two words together. You're going to have to. Um, but that's, is that what people are really looking for? They just want an escapist action. Fine. Absolutely all in. Uh Everybody has different things to do, but is, is there a role, a spot, a place for something different inside the genre, which is why I was asking about the future of this industry? I hope so. And I do agree that, believe that things will snap back to espionage. I hope. Well, th there does seem to be you know, a real res resurgence in military and spy fiction. Uh, do you have a handle on maybe why that is? Well, I don't think it's even necessarily resurgence. I think it's a, it's a continual... Um, growth, it's a crowded industry, and there go that goes back to the process and the meat grinder trying to get inside it, which is why self-publishing becomes a, a viable option. But you know, there is many, there are many people who have many different experiences in their military career or in their espionage career, or their DIA and whatever, their government career. You know, Simon Gervais is a Royal Canadian Mounted Police guy, and the and uh, you know, the Secret Service people. And so they all have these stories that they want to tell. Okay, Everybody has a story. And there's just more of them. All right, The former military people want to write military books about their experience in fiction form. Some are better than others, and some are car, and some aren't. You know, Connor Sullivan does a great job. He's, there's a lot of them out there who are, who are trying to tell their stories of, of things that they know. So 
it's it's a renaissance in the sense that there's some new people, but there's some new angles on stories that are not just the same. Well, kind of what I actually have rogue CIA uh, guy who everybody's trying to kill. And, you know, you have the really, really bad guy, the really, really, really more bad guy. And, uh, and they find it out for trying to find the guy first type of thing, which is actually kind of more of anything up in book three, but don't get me started on that. But I, but some of them are cliche. Yeah. And they are the same thing. They're just written. There's not enough story to tell, but some of them have a unique perspective that makes them an interesting, a little bit different read. So that's why I think you're seeing in some silos of it uh growth of a another angle on some of the military espionage um, book writing well and plus in certain areas it's it's changing so you've got new material yes you know just like even the old you know when you look at some of these old shows from the 60s uh, the classic espionage sort of thing um it, it was a different world so there was different I don't know, different things going on. Well, it was a Cold spiders. War. It was easy. Yeah. Yeah. Cold War was a word. If you didn't write about the Cold War in Berlin, you weren't thinking about any, anything. And we don't have a Cold War, but so we had to write about the Russians and the, the narco-terrorists and then the terrorists. And then we had to, to deal with um, the Russians. And then it's the cyber guys. And now it's and, and I and I picked the Chinese because I have an experience. I you know, like I say, my book is not this you know this thing for my life. So um, I have a thing for for the, the Chinese what they're doing. So you pick you pick your protagonist, but they go through their phases. You know, it's going to be the radioactive thing, or it's the bioterrorist thing, or it's or it's whatever it might be. But they go we go you go through the enemies because we don't have that Russian Soviet monolith that's hanging out there. That's an easy punch. Which actually is kind of cool, to be honest, because you get the attack thrillers from different angles. Right? So oh, it's not just another Russian. It's not another uh, you know who man who came in from the cold thing. Or you know, Len Dighton's really good, but it's you know, those you know, Chris File type of type of deal, but which is really good. But you have uh, more more things that people might be interested in because some people are more technological literate. The cyber thriller is huge. Right, that's a takeoff market. Um, is are, are the bang bang uh, squad attack the house things going to still be as popular? No, because now we've gone to the lone, more the lone wolfy guys who are doing their thing because whatever their their wounding is from their past that they need to reconcile with whatever they're doing. So uh, there's a more of a choice. It's more of a menu. It's good, but uh, do do you feel like because it's cyber and because people have so many misconceptions. They don't really understand a lot what's going on. Even myself, there's always things happening, and tech technology is in a place that we can't really um, isolate what's happening to a specific thing. And when when you get that, just like even with when we saw with uh, the pandemic and stuff. So when you have all these variables. And you can write about that and make a really good story out of it, but you have to make up a certain amount. It, does that does that kind of worry you in a sense of the conspiratorial worry uh, world right now that we live? Yeah, in? It do, it, well, I'm sorry, it does. It does. It does from the point of view of that, and people are stressed out. 
right? We're worrying about our privacy and that every other commercial is your life lock and still in this and and you're you're everybody knows who you are and you just and you, you click those uh, terms and conditions about reading them and the next thing you know you know you're you're now have fourteen children are looking for your money that you know you're getting so we're stressed out. So I didn't really want to write. I didn't really want to write stuff that stresses people out more. Like, oh, this is really my life. I, I, I now I need to worry even more about that camera or that ATM. Yes. Do you want to make people aware? And there's we've talked to authors, you and I, about who do that. Who say I'm going to make you aware of what's really happening in the world and this, and then you can, you know, you're prepared or you're knowledgeable. I don't want to. You know, they're stressed out. You know, I'll, let me give you something that might be have a little sense of realism, and maybe not will entertain, but you won't kind of go, "Oh my God, I don't want to wake up in the morning because I'm going to have my wallet stolen digitally from this crazy machine because the Russians are looking for me." No, thank you. Yeah, and and you know, and the Chinese are giving us COVID through five G. COVID through five G. They get well. I mean, the 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 re, the reality thing on on China would be like things like TikTok. It's like teaching us. And you know, do you want to give your? I'm not on TikTok. Cause I don't want to give you more information to China. And they're sort of a security thing. And but that's something could be written about TikTok. The most popular, well, not quite the most popular, but the fastest growing uh, social media platform in the world. And everybody. You know, it's not, a lot of people are on it every more every day, and that's China's platform, all right? And the, 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 the TikTok that China has in China is not the same one that they send to the rest of the world and because they want the one that they send to the rest of the world, people are addicted to, the one in China is a whole different story. So to know that would be maybe a storyline. Ah, you know, these, there is a manipulation thing that's going on here. Maybe my, maybe you do it from a 13, 15 year old point of view and they figure something out and, and, you know, cause they're all they're doing is ticking and talking. You know, they never read a newspaper. They never listened to the radio. They've never read a magazine. Um, you know, they, they, they know digital. This isn't a, this isn't a knock. I take surveys of my classes every first day and this is, this, that's what the surveys say. They're digital natives. So, but you know what's interesting? A lot of my students, or college students, are turning off social media. They're starting. They're starting to be a wave away from that cyber. Maybe it's because of the cyber threat, privacy, overabundance, negativity type of topic. But it's really just becoming a movement. I'm starting to see. Can I write about that? That could be something. Yeah, you could go in any area around there, but it's just it's really so unpredictable, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. It's it's unpredictable in every single way, except for the way that people use it. Yeah, we we as users of social media and technology in our lives are predictable. You know, we we get our news sources from certain places. We have a certain amount of group of people we actually trust inside our bubble, and we share things and like things. And we don't read them; we just forward them on. Yeah, that's that predictable behavior is what technology loves, you know, what the AI guys love. So. You know, humans are humans, and they and the more they learn about us, it, it, them, they learn about us, the all-knowing AI thing. Uh, the more it will it will control. Eh, I don't want to make it sound like so. It's like a drop in a stream, but you know, it, the more it will serve us, and the more we become beholden to it as a technology. Now that's a that's a, and many writers are writing about that the cyber thriller world, the you know the. The takeover, the takeover of sort of mankind by these government military computer systems that 
are really necessary. You know, they do they, they big governments, big militaries do what they need to do. That's what they're supposed to do. Is there something there that we can do to, to write about that, to make a thriller, to, to inform? Sure, sure. But yes, there's, some, there's a stress there. There's a human factor there. And, and, and being writers, all of us, what's the human factor that plays into that that might be more interesting to write a book about that makes a story? Well, I think you need to uh, give Wes Henslow a sex change operation. He would not go. He would have not gone for that. I know. I knew the man, and he was he was old school. Yeah, but maybe he was a woman trapped, and maybe he's really less Winslow. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, he's well, dead. So I can't ask. Him. This is so, it, you know. So. But see, that's now that would be a direction that nobody would expect you to go into. Well, well to be honest, that's probably, in it all going aside, there is probably a place. In fact, I know there. I went to the, you know, Utrecht. No, there was a there was a segment on, um, whatever whatever the phrase they used, heroes, that were non traditional heroes or something like that. That's that were about. In fact, one of the speakers was transgender, and that's who their hero was. One was a Native American. That's who their hero was, and so it, it's a they had, there's stories with non white male government guy books exist, and there's a market for them because they're successful. It's not. It's it's funny. It's a, it's a thing, but you're you know, you know to, to throw out. But really, if you think if if you want to experience something new, read some of those books, or have a sex change, or have a sex change operation, and write about your your, your experiences, and write up and then become a, a that would a case be, that would be something CIA. new, right? That would be you know, uh, uh, but you know, I saw this. Don't know. There's this book being. I see a book. You know, the Whistler being marketed. Hey, and it's a transgender. The Whistler is transgender now. Really? Yeah. 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 That's and a new one? Yeah. And I'm not I sure. At first, I kind of was like, yeah, whatever. And then um, a little bit later, I was seeing some of the little shots that they have of it. And I was thinking, well, I don't know. This might work. Oh, it will. There's yeah. a market, huge market for it. I mean, I mean, there's no, this is, this is my pejorative thing, you know. The, the the white male writing hero thing is not as popular as broadly as um, disenfranchised groups or groups of color, sexual orientation groups. Those are popular. Those are growth markets in the book world. So if you want to take advantage of it in a in a correct way by writing truisms and things like that, make real characters, it's there. I, I I did all my research querying. I'm like, wow, this is what you got to write, if you because this is what all the agents are looking for. They're looking for that market. Well, and plus, it, it's someone more common and more relatable to be your hero rather than like Jack Reacher. How many people do you know actually look like that guy? Right. I mean, I yeah, don't know anybody. Exactly. You know, he's a larger than life, big former military, you know, military police guys. We know the people on the street. You know, truth is stranger than fiction. Everybody's got a story. So, talk to people about their situations and see if you can figure out a way to make it. Make it. I mean, I, if you want to get out of thriller, you can get into like where where I want to get into is maybe lit fiction or or standalone books that give me a chance to just write one story, beginning, middle, and end. Not have to worry about the serious thing, but pick themes and messages and. and Characters who deliver those, you know, yeah. kill a mockingbird. Because I'd much rather hang out with Queen Latifah. 
I, well, you, I think you like would be better to hang out with, but I don't think it's quite as realistic as, let's say, you know, Jack Reacher for being a spy. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, the, the character is what it is. So, um, yes. but there are more real, more realistic people that they're using now in these things. People want to identify in, in literature and anywhere else in life what people like them, right? And so if you want to write a, a, a an espionage book, you write youth espionage, youth thrillers, the you know, kids who are in the spy books read the spy books. If you want to write you know, sexual orientation books or, or whatever it might be, people are looking for books that were characters, heroes, legitimate representations of who they are too. That's great. Fill the market. You want to write a book, go fill the market. That's why you put yourself as the French maid. That's I, Once again, my maid <laughs> costume comes up. It's With Jewel, I think it's, yeah, you're a French maid that likes to wrap her meat. <laughs> yes, yes, that's an old, that joke is going to live forever. That is. House of mystery. Oh, boy. Forever. Forever. Well, there we go. Uh, so this is an interesting conversation. Now, the book, of course, Rebellious Son, and now you have a um, website, and, of course, we'll have everything up. and. Yeah. And uh, and you like to be on all social media except for TikTok because I'm not a TikToker. I, I, but you know what? Boy, it almost got me. There are all these book people are on TikTok. Yeah. Hashtag book life, book love, uh, TikTok, uh, t- book talk. Yeah. Hashtag book talk. Colleen Hoover and all that. And all they're getting millions of people. They're reading their books. They're talking about. Them. I'm like, oh boy, there's a market there. Oh yeah, it's huge. Yeah, I know, but it's TikTok. Yeah, but so the dark side. Yeah, but so what? At this point, what are they going to discover about you that they don't already know? Yeah. French maid outfit. Well, they know about your French maid. That's true. That's out, that's out of, a, of a, the web yeah. now. And your, and your meat wrapping and everything. So they're, the, meat, the meat wrapping is always successful. Though. So what what else are they going to find out? It's at the point now where I'm, I'm not open sure. book. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a writer who's an open book. Yeah. You've only got so many years. Get out there and get on I know. That. That's, actually, that's a theme. That's the theme of the book. Uh, uh, rebellious son is, you know, you know, you got, you're born at point A, you die at point B. You know, kick glass, live. That's kind of an underlying theme of this book, too. Yeah. Good, 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 good catch there. Of course. That's what I do. That's you're the expert. <laughs> <laughs> well, there we go. Another show. Thank you, Joe Goldberg. And Thank you, We'll Tommy. look for you on uh, Goldberg Talk. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.